What's going on? What are you looking at here? Uh, we're looking at the uh, group. One of the groups. The what utility group. group? Utility group. And what are the dogs that are in it? Would you all know all these oh, by yes, sight? Yes, yes. This first one on the right is the Keith Lenders. Then That's the barge dog. The barge, the Dutch barge dog. Then the Chow Chow, the Chinese dog, which has a characteristic black tongue. And then you have a standard poodle. With standard the poodle is rather ugly to the untutored eye. Yes, well, these, where the dog is cut, without a really. Um, but they're hunting dogs, primarily of a spaniel type. And, uh, Very heavy coat. Yes, the coat is heavy, and this was to keep the joints warm. And they the cut the hair off all the joints. Yeah, uh, no, well, or oh, they leave the hair on the on joints. Certain joints yes. Yes. Well, would but they not get arthritis from that, from all that wet hair well, on the, the joints? Uh, they no longer hunt. <laughs> uh, so I suppose. But they, they did this even when they were hunting dogs. It originated from then. They yeah. may have changed. The yes. style may have changed since then. But that was the origin of the cut. Then you have the Dalmatian, which is the, uh, the spotted dog. dog, the famous uh, dog for um, carriage dogs. They they travelled with carriages in the old days. Where was that? They were always associated with carriages. carriages. Yes, I don't really know the you know why, but they this has been the you know tradition. They're very uh, strong and spectacular dogs. And in front of us here we have a, a miniature poodle. There are cheap poodles, a miniature, a toy, and standard. So these are the six now in this and in this and group. Well, there are more than that. You have the Boston Terrier there. Oh yes. And you have the Bulldog. Uh, you have uh, I can't see from here at the moment. I'll give you a list of them now. He's taken out at the moment. The judge has taken out um, four dogs. Is it good to be taken out or oh, to yes. be left in? Well, good to be taken out because he simply places these now from one to four. You know. Sick. And. Um, so he's making up his, his mind finally now as to which dog he's placing. And he's had a good look at them. He's made the owners uh, walk them up and down. That's right. He's handled the dogs and gone over them and handled them. And to feel know, their conformation. Exactly, and yes. Feel their, their sound and body. And movement is very important. If a dog moves badly, it's, a dog can look lovely and do everything, but when, you, when it starts to move, it's... Um, shows up all his faults. Now he's looking back at some of the dogs he hasn't taken out. This must be a time of anguish for the owners yes. and the handlers. This is the make up your mind time, as our friend to say. It's uh, for the judge too, because he has to finalize his opinion, you know? These dogs have already been through their particular breeds and have been chosen by their breed judges. So they're all winners so far. He's now looking back at the Boston Terrier and the Bulldog. I can understand how you can judge in one breed and pick the best dog out. But judging between ten different breeds must be dreadful. Well, yes, it can be. It can be very, very difficult. But you have to finalise your... Uh, make up your mind. You make one friend and nine enemies. Well, the only, the only friend you ever make is the winner, really, of any dog show. We used to say years ago that we never hear complaints from winners, only from losers. Candidates are now at the 50 points at the Western Shore.
is just about to make his final commitment here. The blue ribbon is the good one, is it? Well, they can vary in colour, really. It's um, not traditionally blue, it could be any colour. In this instance, it is. The combined canine club are holding their 42nd annual championship all-breed show at the RDS, and the casehound, Candy May Carousel of Dominiac, the property of Liz Wogan, has just won its group. There are six groups of dogs at a dog show, sporting, terrier, utility, toy, gun dog and working. I pulled one of the groups at random, and away from the show ring, over a comparatively quiet cup of tea, Tom Kramer told me about working dogs. Working dogs. Gun dogs, of course, from the introduction of the gun, naturally. And, uh, in fact, uh, the Irish Kennel Club insists that before a gun dog can become a champion, he must do um, a field test to show that he has got all the essentials for the particular group he's within gun dogs that he's attached to. And is it possible to do that with all sporting dogs? Uh, not with all. It would be possible to do it with all sporting dogs, but it's not done with them. Uh, it's done with all gun dogs. All the gun dogs have to do this test. Uh, and what form do they take, these well, tests? Well, okay, gun dogs are divided basically into four different sections. There's, uh, first of all, the retrievers, which we all know. They're the Labradors and the Golden Retrievers, Curly Coat Retrievers, Smooth Coated Retrievers. They're dogs for retrieving. Uh, nearly, the Labradors are descended from the dogs from Labrador that pull the nest. They're big, strong dogs. And in fact, if you are going to slay in cattle for a day's shooting on the banks of the Boyne, and your birds were dropping the far side of the Boyne, you'd need one of these retrieving dogs, a Labrador or a Golden. They have to be strong enough to swim a strong river. Strong enough to uh, swim a strong river and to do long, difficult and sustained retrieving all day. They may have 20, 30, 40, 50 birds to retrieve on the day that would drop. So he must be a strong dog and he must be capable of doing that job. Uh, the next group then would be the Spaniels, which I suppose is more the uh, uh, the traditional dog of an Irish man where he goes out with a gun under his arm and his dog running ahead of him. He's a dog who works within the area of the man with a gun, never out of gunshot range. He examines all the hedges and ditches, all the clumps of briars. And he does all the reconnaissance. He runs in there and he puts out the, the game as he finds it. He flushes a pheasant or he puts out a rabbit. The man with the gun shoots it. He must be steady to that, of course. He mustn't run in. And then he has to go and retrieve the the, the um, bird or the rabbit, as the case may be. They're great water dogs. <coughs> well. Yes, they have to be able to retrieve, and they must be able to retrieve from land and water. Now, the reason that you don't use a retriever for that is because, invariably, the man that's walking out through the fields with his gun on his arm doesn't get the same amount of retrieving as the man who's standing at a driven shoot, for instance. It's a very good day shooting with a Spaniard if you get four or five head a game. Whereas in a driven shoot, you may shoot a hundred on the day. But that is the This is where the game is driven over you, artificially, yes, as it yes, were. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And go from there, then, to the third group, which is pointers and setters. 
time. We all know the point of the setter, you know, the traditional time. They're used where game is very scarce. Uh, like, for instance, in the Dublin Mountains, or in the Bog of Allen, or in big, large fields, where you come along and you let your dog, he searches the entire area. If he finds game, he points it or sets it, whichever case may be. Yes, this is usually where there's um, a good deal of, of um, knee-high cover. Indeed, header. Heather, the land. Heather and that sort of thing, indeed. And uh, there's this hypnotic stare that the pointer or the setter mesmerizes the bird with. And when you see your dog in that setting, you walk up to him and then he produces the game with a shot. Now, obviously, the pointer or the setter, by virtue of where you do your shooting on the Dublin Mountains, he doesn't need to retrieve at all. Because it, it's in the wide open spaces, and when you shoot your game, you just go out and you pick it up. So he doesn't need to retrieve. You don't need him to retrieve. And then the last group, the more modern one, of course, uh, that's what we refer to as dual-purpose gun dogs. And uh, these were the ones that were developed in Central Europe, particularly on Germany and Austria and Hungary. Uh, they're dogs that do both functions. They are um, German pointers, Vizlans, Weimariners, all these types of dogs. And they, in fact, try to do both. They find game and they point it as a pointer would, and then when it's shot, they retrieve it from land and water as well. They also use them to find deer in that type of game as well. Will these so all-purpose <coughs> dogs eventually replace the more specialist ones? No, I wouldn't think so at all. Um, they're not they as have, handsome, maybe. Well, it's not that they're uh, uh, as handsome. They're different dogs for different countries. The old breeds of gun dogs with which we are all familiar I thought that all categories of dogs must have been long since established, and I was astonished to hear that Michael Leonard and Stella Hart were showing a new breed. Well, it's not a new breed, it's just a new breed to Ireland. Uh, we brought, I brought the Spitz in about three years ago. S-P-I-T-Z? Yes, Japanese Spitz. And what are its characteristics? It's all white. It's, the way you can describe it, it's like a miniature Samoyed. And, uh, Beautiful silky white coat. Very much an easy care dog. Doesn't need washing all that often. And Doesn't small. need to be trimmed. Nice and small. small. And so is it a traditional Japanese dog? Yes, it is. They've, as they've done everything. They've taken a, a lot of Spitz breeds and bred something beautiful, small and compact. They did it with cameras. This is what confuses me. I'm not too sure. You talk about purebred dogs, purebred dogs, but yet you talk about mixtures from. Well, well, you're talking about 20 generations or something like that before breed is recognised, you know, of, of the, the, the same dog coming out each time, to, time you mate it. They're standardised before they are recognised. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very, very much oh, so. Yes. Very, yes. very much so. And um, th when did this come into Ireland? About three years ago now. Three, yeah. 1980. And how quickly does a new breed spread then? Well, it depends on who brings them in and, and how many times you're prepared to breed your bitch. Um, we've only bred one litter, and uh, so there's how There's many a total now? of seven spits, Japanese spits in Ireland. Registered. To date. And do you two have them all? Well, no, we, no, no, no. I've got well, three. <laughs> you've won. I've won, and then puppies that Stella had bred. So it's a nice so cosy competition. Oh, You'll yes, keep it yes. in the family. No, 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 no. We've had, we've had, had some from England we, as well again. We had classes um, at a show last year, and uh, we had six over from England, and 
And how did you ask? We fared out. Very nicely. We you beat them? Yes. Yeah. One Stella had bread. Took, took the best of me. Yeah. And we classes here today as well. This is our second show to have classes. Mm -hmm. But with, with so few dogs of the breed in existence in Ireland, mm -hmm. you don't have great selectivity in breeding then. Well, when you start off, you try and get the best female and the best male you can get, so that whatever you breed from is, is going to be very typical of the breed. And if it's not, after your first mating, you don't breed again. That's my policy. Anyway. Between those two? Yeah. yeah before, before Stella brought in the breed, she possibly spent about a year, two years, looking up pedigrees on the various lines in England. And especially bringing a dog, a new breed, into a country, you have to be particularly careful about the lines that you have and and what's going to mate to what so that we produce the best Japanese spits that we can get. And in doing your research like that, how do you determine uh, what you want exactly? Well, you read up, you go back to the country of origin, you're back to Japan, and we wrote to them, we, we got a lot of literature back, all written in Japanese, and uh, it, was, it was translated for me by a friend. And uh, you try and find out what they think is the ideal spits, and you base what you think on that because the country of origin is one you always go back to. One of, one of the dogs that Stella has is related to the top dog Japanese in Japan dog and that, that's what our major factor was about getting this particular line. Mm -hmm. So if you choose a sire and a dam, I don't know if those are the terms you that's use, right. mm -hmm. horse racing ladies, um, you will pick them by eye on confirmation to um, a great degree. On pedigree. On pedigree more. Oh, on pedigree rather than, than on appearance. Yes. 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 What about bone structure and the like? Or well, you see, you have to, the trust, shape of the you have to trust the breeder to an extent. You first of all find out if the reputable breeder, if it is, she will breed or he will breed true to type, and, and hopefully you'll get a nicely con confirmation, nice confirmation of the dog. Did this spits have any purpose in life, or was it just they're a dog? They're a house dog. They don't, they're, a they're in the utility group. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean mean an awful lot. Uh, they're not a work. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no particular no function, function except no. as a house pet, and they're bred solely for that. So, uh, they don't bite people. They make a lot of noise with the strangers outside. They're very decorative, and uh, they're lovely with children. So they're a nice animal to have around, and they smell beautifully. Stella brought in uh, Commodores, which is another rare breed, uh, which is still a rare breed in Ireland. We made up the first Commodore champion in the British Isles, which is nice. What kind of dog is that? It's a large dog that looks as like a, a walking mop, a walking white mop. It's a very big dog, a very vicious dog. And uh, in it's fact, a bit like the old English sheepdog, then. Eh? Well, size-wise, yeah, possibly, size, yes. yeah, a little bit bigger than an old English, but their coat is corded, like a mop. It grows in cords. Kind of Rastafarian. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Mm. And uh, is that gained ground in Ireland? No, it wasn't popular at all. Um, it's too difficult. It's a marvellous guard dog, but that means everybody's out. Milkmen, postmen, strangers, children's playmates, <laughs> all <laughs> out. <laughs> so you're isolated in your own house Very with your much so, yes. And uh, it, uh, it can cause dreadful marital problems. <laughs> 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 Particularly if a dog won't let anybody upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> the Unseen Hazards of Strange Breeds Down in the pandemonium of the show hall, you could detect many different accents. I met a girl named Angela Prophet from Birmingham, and she told me why she had come over. Well, I first did the Munster Circuit last summer, 
and I got reserved green stars all week and then I, much to my surprise, I really love gardens. I love Kerry, I love the southwest. the dogs could go wild. Had you not been over here before? No. Never ever. I, I hadn't got a clue what Southern Ireland was going to be like. I didn't know what to expect, but everyone was so great. And um, then at Chris, Christmas time came, and I didn't know where to go for Christmas. I wanted the dogs to go somewhere wild, so we went over to Galway for a week, and we did the St Stephen's Day, you say over here, show on Boxing Day, as we say in England, and. Polly got um, reserving the toy group, so obviously that was me well and truly hooked on Ireland. We came over for St. Patrick's Day just for a long, hectic weekend and got thrown out. So it's quite nice today. I came over on the boat and I'm just over for the day. It's been expensive, aren't you? It is expensive. Um, today I sneaked the dogs on board the boat. We had a ticket for £12 and that includes a litre bottle of spirits on the way back, so that's very good. But um, I know in the summer I did an article for the Yorkshire Terrier Club magazine and it cost me about £600. I did 2,000 miles in two weeks, but I well and truly did carry and it was lovely. But it's very, very nice and I met some super people. And um, it's nice because I've been seeing people today and they said, oh, you again, you do look different with clothes on. And of course that's um, because in the summer it was at the end of that heat wave we'd all got little bikini tops on in shorts and oh I don't recognize you with clothes on which doesn't sound at all good. English visitor Angela Prophet. Charles Mitchell and his wife have been showing dogs for many years but when I met Charles at the show he wanted to talk about something else besides showing. I'm uh, vice chairman of the Irish Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals which is the overall society involved in among other things the, uh, the stray dog problem. That's a real problem, yeah. It is a real problem with the spread of housing estates into the country. With the, there is no control here on who owns a dog or how you keep it or under what circumstances uh, you allow it its freedom. And we're trying to, we're part of an advisory committee to the government. Uh, there's an interdepartmental committee already in existence examining this whole problem. Mm. Because under the present laws, only the Gordi are entitled to pick up a stray dog. And they're a menace, they're a nuisance, and it's cruel. And that's the area in which we are involved. So we're pressing to have dog control units set up, not just in Dublin, but all over the country, where stray dogs can be brought. And a pound system, isn't it? A pound system, yes. yes. Dog control units, a pound. There are, uh, in Dublin, there's one in Kerry, there's one in Cork, we, I, I opened one, or rather the Minister uh, for Agriculture opened one in Waterford uh, just for Christmas, I was involved in that. But um, dog warns, to be able to come up to somebody and say, look, is that your dog? Uh, have you got a license? And uh, they do it in the continent. There are strict controls on who owns a dog and how it's kept. And uh, it's very uh, cruel and it's very dangerous. Dog, people let dogs out at night roam around the streets, they, they foul the pavements, they mess up bags, you know, and they are a danger. And it's also cruel to the dog. And so of course the menace to farmers. The menace to farmers is very real and must be controlled in some way or another because it's a huge loss. It's not just the dog, you, the sheep that you savage, but the panic it creates and the damage it does to the whole flock. 
Uh, you were saying they have good control on the continent. But they do. They have the great hazard of rabies, of course. Which they have. Well, the only two rabies-free areas in Europe... Britain and ourselves. Britain and ourselves. And we want to keep it that way. There is a slight danger that with our membership of the EEC, dog control and the rabies thing will be extended to this country. But at the moment... By European edict. By European edict. You see, uh, rabies is endemic on the continent, and in fact it has already reached uh, ports along the coast. And so we are very vigilant that rabies and dogs or cats cannot be imported illegally here. The penalties are very heavy, but still some get through, and it's a dreadful uh, danger. So uh, how far have you got in your campaign? Do you feel that it's going to come to fruition, or is it going to be one of these uh, committees that just go on and no legislation ensues? No, we're very near legislation, and we get great assistance from the Irish Farmers Association and other bodies like that who are really concerned about this growing problem right through the country. But we are very near uh, proper legislation for the control of the dog population of this country. It's reckoned there are about three quarters of a million dogs, uh, both pedigree and uh, non-pedigree. And I think at the last count, there were 150,000 licenses. And you know, the, the income from the licenses itself, if they could be collected, would go a great way forward for building and county councils can get back half the cost of building a dog control centre from the Department of the Environment. So it's an incentive to everywhere, Limerick, Tralee, anywhere you like. You feel they'd get the other half if the dogs were properly licensed? And they would, right? yes, or they ought to, hopefully. So it would be nearly self-sufficient as regards money? It could be, yes. And then you charge um, for boarding a dog or you charge for People buy dogs uh, from, from the dog's home and they are charged an nominal fee or whatever they like to give. And it's a center for aid and assistance for people who either can't manage their dog and don't want to do with it, or people who find strays. They have somewhere to bring them, instead of just saying, oh, poor dog, give it food and let it off again. Charles Mitchell, and after that quiet interlude with him, I move back to the show area. The Beatty family are professionals in an amateur world, and above the surrounding pandemonium, Philomena told me something of their work. Yes, we do grooming and um, boarding, and then we exhibit as well, great. Do you do grooming for shows? Uh, some dogs grooming for whatever we have time for. You know, a day is, the day before the show is only so many hours, and we can only cope with so many dogs. What but you do, do it for people who are going to show? Yes, yes, to a certain extent, yes. And you would know precisely what the judges are looking for in that Well, we hope to, yes. Every judge has a different idea of what they want. Every judge will criticise a different point or look for a, a good point, different good point in a dog. You know, they all have their different ideas. So, so to make dog shows. Before you start grooming, do you have a look at the judges for the following day? No. <laughs> no. Before you stop grooming a dog, you look at the dog and you try and decide in your mind what its good points are and what its bad points are. You try and accentuate the good points and hide the bad points. Is it rather like a woman going into a hairdresser? Well, they say that. 
they face. But you're trying to, you know, hide bad points. The dog's a bad front and you have a coat breed, you're trying to take deflect that bad front, you know? And what kind of tools do you use? You would use hairdressers' tools, for example. Well, depending on what breed you're doing. If you were doing a poodle, you would use a clippers, an animal with clippers, which you would do around, clip the face and the feet. Well, you're not terrified to do that. I mean, the owner must have very definite ideas of what way they want their dog to go. Oh, yes, but their owners hopefully have confidence in us as groomers, and uh, they leave the dog with us. And, um, you know, we advise them what we would do if the dog was ours. We usually accept that. So you use peppers, you use shampoos? And Shampoo and uh, scissoring, then. If it was a poodle or a bichon, which I show myself, uh, they're scissors all over. What scissors? Scissors, an ordinary scissors. A hairdressing scissors. You cut the ends of the hair? You, you shape the hair as if like a, like a hedge. If you were shaping a hedge, you would just shape, a, shape the dog. And each different breeds of different shapes they require. Now, what other tips are there? What about pads, paws, and that kind of thing? Do you well, if you're showing a dog, you're bringing the dog out and you're presenting that dog to a judge. Therefore, you wouldn't go yourself. You clean yourself up going to the show, so you make sure the dog, his teeth are clean, his eyes are clean, his pads, nails are clipped. And even a smooth-coated dog that doesn't need clipping, you have to make sure he's clean. And his pads are clean, his toenails are cut and everything. How do you clean their teeth? Toothbrush, toothpaste, the easiest way, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> Where did you learn your trade? Um, my mother has been, I was, you can practically say, puppies were weaned on what we were weaned on, and um, with dogs have been my life. One man I met who had prepared his dog particularly well was Peter Murphy from Clonmel. He had won the highly competitive Best Puppy in Show. Well, I think it's wonderfully competitive because it's a competition that you have, uh, you're in with all breeds, all different breeds, different sizes, different makes and different shapes, all of them under a year old. And it's a very prestigious event to me, anyhow. And I say it's a once-in-a-lifetime win, uh, so I'm more than delighted to be able to. Is it judged purely on appearance? Just I know, everything is taken into consideration. Well, obviously the presentation has a lot to do with it, but everything else, the dog must have the, up to the standards of the breed. And, and uh, everything else, she must present herself well, she must show well. And uh, the judge will go over each one and he'll decide yeah. whether she's within the standard. And uh, what's this dog? I don't recognise the, the one for you. It's a Tibetan Spaniel, rare enough in Ireland um, at the moment. Actually, the, that one's mother was the first one ever to appear in Clonmel. So um, I have been at it for eight years now. On this one breed? On this one breed, yes. And uh, coming up today, did you expect to win? Honestly, I didn't expect to win because she's a young uh, bitch, um, very young. She's only seven months old. And uh, but then with that kind of competition, you don't... I suppose you'll always come in hope. Because if you didn't hope, you wouldn't come at all. Time. So you come in hope, but quite honestly, when I saw the, the entry that was there, I didn't, I didn't have a, I thought I didn't have a hope. It took all my courage on leaving Peter Murphy to approach a man holding two fearsome animals. He turned out to be John Bond from Belfast. These are German Rothweilers. They're they, immensely heavy, immensely powerful dogs. They are indeed, yes. They're a working dog brought into Europe by the Romans. Uh, they're actually a cattle drover's dog. And they've been uh, in continuous succession, you feel, from Roman times, haven't they? Yeah, indeed, yes. They're the only breed of dog that hasn't been tampered with. That's a genuine true breed. 
It's a true breed that breaks through to the present day. Now, these are categorized as guard dogs. <clears throat> People use them as guard dogs because they have the strength, the weight, and they can be very ferocious if you wish them to be. As you can see, uh, this large one here that, that the girl's holding is a docile animal. He can be a guard dog or he can just be a, a pet about the house and that's it. This is your daughter's dog, yes, is it? Yes, that's the daughter. Well, now, how, how protective is this dog of your daughter? You tell him that, 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 that just does, does he mind you all the time? Yeah. Are you the only one who can handle him? Yes. Well, better than my daddy. Yes. <laughs> but uh, he doesn't object to me talking to you, for example. No, but he's all right. It's simple. It's okay. Not that bad. Has he ever attacked anyone? Well, not no. And no. um, what? You were saying that if, if anyone went to strike the child. Yes. If I even uh, showed a, any, and he any, you. Any, yes, and he knows me. If I was to say I'd hit my daughter here now. Uh, he'll growl and he'll, he'll let me know that he doesn't want me to do it. And, uh, but I noticed he was standing between you and yes. anyone who came up to you. Does he do that yes. all the time? Yeah. That's a protective thing as well. Yes. And uh, how difficult is he to handle that? He's not that difficult. If you take him for a walk, for example, will he... He'll walk for me. He, will he attack other dogs? No, well, no, not all that. Because if he took off, he'd take you with him. <laughs> yeah. We're actually used as a drover's dog, and when the drover got drunk, the dog had a little pouch around his neck. They put their wages into the pouch, and when they got drunk and couldn't move, the dog lay down beside them, and they knew their money was safe. That's where the guard instinct comes from. And it was in the days of the Romans when they brought them in here, and that's where it was brought, bred right down through the lines in the dog. Uh, this one here, my pup, I don't think you know how to bark at a stranger. He, he actually is more playful. He just, has the garden destroyed. He's eating the mud flaps in my car. There's not a dress in the house he hasn't worn. I have enough pair of shoes in the house. And he's 11 months old, so... Problems, problems. One of the organisers of the show was Teddy Crofton. He told me something of the history of dog shows. It was uh, roughly about 1870, 78, uh, the British Bulldog Club was formed in England. And that was the oldest club. That would have been a landlord's labour, would it? Yes. Well, you see, what really happened in those days, uh, people realised that there were things happening that shouldn't happen. That uh, perhaps everything wasn't above board, let's put it that way. So a group of people decided... Well, a way of breeding. Yes, and keeping strict records. Yes. So a group of people then decided that they would form a club and they would draw up rules and regulations and uh, that was the first club that started. Then, uh, two years afterwards, the, the English Fox Terrier Club came along, and then the Irish Fox Terrier Club. And the Irish Fox Terrier Club, which was formed here in uh, 1880, and still going strong, happens to be the oldest breed club in Ireland. I asked Teddy Crofton if the world of show dogs is still expanding. Well, this year we had um, 1,350 dogs. Now, not entries, dogs. Some of those dogs could enter in two or three classes. So we are inclined to count the number of dogs, not the entries. And we've had a very good show this year. One final, rather indelicate question, Teddy. Who cleans up after you? Well, you see, we have a very good committee. And the committee come along and they set up the show. And then when the show is over, when everybody's gone home, 
we clean up. The committee do all the work. They clean up again and leave it as we got it. After the Lord Mayor's coach. Quite. <laughs> Jack Travers is a committee member of the Irish Kennel Club. I suggested to him that there must be a great deal of paperwork involved. Tremendous amount. There's quite a, a big staff there, really. We have a secretary, Mr. Dick Martin, and I think the staff is around 11 or 12. Because there's so much uh, interchange of dogs, and these all have to be recorded. Oh, yes. It's, it's very extensive altogether. We're thinking of computerizing, but we haven't quite got around to that as yet. But um, we certainly will need it in a few years. And a rather strange thing is that um, despite recession and everything else, shortage of money, the registrations of dogs are increasing. We're up practically a third on last year. So it's very it's much a growth thing. Very much a growth thing, very much indeed. Does it come with affluence? or Not really. Has the depression affected it? The d dogdom is rather um, odd in many ways. It's the most democratic organisation you'll ever find in anywhere. You're people from all walks of life, uh, interested in dogs and meeting together. The art core consists of every possible professional and every every uh, walk of life, someone from every walk of life. It's a totally democratic organisation and very interesting to see the different people together who normally wouldn't ever meet except through the common interest of dogs. Just to get back to the, the paperwork, I've seen uh, canine pedigrees and uh, they must take quite a lot of uh, making out. Well, they do indeed. When you have a, uh, when you're setting a litter of dogs, you have to make out a pedigree form, a five-generation pedigree form for every person you sell a dog to. Uh, it's quite a job, really. And these pedigrees are checked, presumably, by your people? They're checked by the Kennedy Club, yes. The day was moving on, and back in the ring, the end was in sight. The best-in-show judge was Joe Kirk. He told me about the six dogs who had survived from the original 1300. Well, we have in the final lineup here the St. Bernard, we have then the King's Hound, we have a Labrador, we then have the Standard Smooth Dachshund, and we have the Ward Fox Terrier, and then we have at the end of the line here the uh, Pekingese. Must be awfully hard, Joe, to differentiate with these, all these different breeds. Well, the difference in doing your breeds is that you have to judged to the standard of that particular breed and then on the final count you have uh, an overall look at the dogs to consider uh, which in the judge's opinion on the day is the best representative there. Uh, very difficult in some cases when you are judging varieties where you have several breeds such as like the puppy sticks today where virtually every uh, breed was represented in the puppy stakes with something like 86 of an entry and you have to judge your dogs as I said by the standard of each breed. Do you get a lot of effect from the losers? No, no. Uh, you will find that the losers will accept their defeat as such if you call them losers. They know that when they come out in the sea 86 puppies that there can be only four placings and there can only be worse, one first dog. Uh, this is the judge's opinion and it's generally uh, said by experienced judges another day, another breed and that's the way it goes because judges very much like humans can 
uh, one day be on their toes, the next day Coop and Carlis. Well, we're standing here in the middle of a well-populated ring. Yes. Uh, a lot of people waiting for the result of this. You have your six dogs left, so what do you do now? You start... Uh, what I will do is I will bring out, I will first walk right down the line, having a look at each exhibit standing, assess them from that. I will then bring out the dogs uh, as from the left, as it's normal by Kennel Club rules, that you judge from the left, and handle these dogs against the standard of that particular breed. Is to feel their musculature and the way oh, they're built? everything. We, we start off first with the head, uh, and the head in itself, and most uh, breeds have a certain amount of points. In fact, they have most of the points of each breed. And uh, you can take it that you're looking first for the pigmentation on the nose, you're looking for the length of head, you're looking for the placement of eye, you're looking for the colour of eye, you're then looking for the muzzle, you're looking whether a dog is slender or deep through, whether it has a wedge head, whether it has a narrow head. You then go back to the ears and you look to see if the ears are properly set, if they're too low, uh, if they're too high, if it's a dog with a long-eared breed, then are these ears too long? Uh, are they too short? Are they the proper shape? Because certain breeds have certain shapes of ears, and you have to look for these as part of the breed. Then you go back on to the neck, and you look for the neck. You then look at the shoulders, the placement of the shoulders against the main body, which in most cases should be a 90 degrees from the forearm back. You then look at the depth of cage, width, if you like. We then go to the length of the body, going back to the loins, and then we end up at the rear of the dog. And in this case, we're looking for tail set. We're looking for length of tail. Uh, the type of tail that is to that particular breed, uh, i.e. such as a Labrador must have a very heavy stunted tail going back to a point, uh, a collie tail must have the full length down to its heart, these sort of things. We then look at the back end in itself and we see that a dog is cow-hawked or it's not cow-hawked. What's cow-hawked? Cow-hawked is very much looking at the rear of a cow where you see the two uh, thighs coming down and all of a sudden at the knuckles, as we call it, at the, the knuckles of the dog that they go into uh, inside, if you like, into a V and the two legs then go out on a splay. That's known as a cow hop. Uh, so you have six very impatient finalists oh, here. Oh, these are, these are first-class exhibits. So you're looking at us with great that. apprehension at the moment. So perhaps, Joe, you'd better get on, do you? Maybe you come back and report progress. I will, sir. No High Court judge could have been more punctilious. Joe Kirk viewed the dogs, put them on the bench and felt them all over, had them walked and trotted, looked at them all again, and finally came and told me what he thought. I think they're all very nice exhibits, uh, really uh, true to their standards. I am now getting to the point of what we call nitty-gritties, in which I'm looking for what I expect to see in the standards. Uh, this takes a lot of things into consideration. We take the St. Bernard, for instance. Uh, he's a, a marvellous specimen, very nice, two-year-old, and he has the head which is required off a of St. Bernard. Big noble head. Yes. 
we then come to the Keys Han, which is of the Spitz variety, uh, were thought of at first to be round about the Black Forest area, uh, but they're now known as a Dutch breed, really, and uh, a very nice specimen also. Uh, a nice head, nice body. We then come to the Labrador, which is a black, a, a, again a very nice dog. Uh, looking all right, but I would say at the present time a little tired on it after such a long day. Has a, a proper head, ear set, a proper colour of nose and tail set. We then come to the standard smooth uh, Dexon. Uh, lovely dog again, but unfortunately the day tells on these dogs the length of the day and is inclined to drop his back line, which is something that you look for in uh, yes, a He must have a, a clean back line. Yes. Uh, okay, uh, someone would say, well, the length of the day you should allow for this, but then again, I'm judging, at the time I'm judging, uh, what's here in front of me. Uh, the wire-haired fox terrier, lovely Again, another lovely specimen, took down immaculately, uh, couldn't do any better, I, I would say, from anyone uh, in the world. This, this is a lovely specimen indeed, and is trimmed to perfection. We then come to the Pekingese, another lovely dog again, uh, again starred, uh, doing the usual things that you don't expect the Pekingese to do at this, when it's sort of showing, but is doing now because of the tartness. So, in all probability, I will reassess what I have in front of me and come up with my first and second, which is my best in show and reserve best in show. I'm deducing that it's going to be the Fox Terrier and the St. Bernard. Uh, that is, that is near enough. <laughs> so, I'll come back to you. Yes. Well, I was nearly right. In fact, the St. Bernard, handled by Seamus Oates, won from the Fox Terrier. Joe Kirk's northern accent reminded me of an abiding impression I had gained throughout the day that there's no border among dog fanciers. Well, at least a third of our exhibitors are from the north, uh, and uh, they're very, very loyal, and some, indeed, quite a few members of Honor Cora, the Central Committee, are uh, people resident in the north. And do you support the northern shows? They only have one championship show in the year, Belfast Championship Show. We down here have something like 20 championship shows. They just have the one. So... Uh, we really there's if for Irish for people in the south, the, uh, except for open shows, shows that that uh, where you gain no points for a championship, there's not the same attraction as for Northerners coming down here. We are down here. This is my fourth, fifth show this year. Fourth show down here this year. And I think of another four shows to come within the next three or four weeks. And uh, border doesn't exist. Not in the dog world. Not not. Either way, we get quite a few people up in Belfast at our championship show in September, and at some of the ordinary, ordinary canine shows around the country, we get quite a terrible lot of people from the south up Quite far away to, far away is Donegal, Cork, Wexford, but people up in Waterford. The last show I was at up in uh, Balmoral, Belfast. No hassle. None at all. None at all, and I'm, never, I'm quite glad that we can come down here because today this dog has got the best of breed, this large dog here, the eldest one, and that's his first green start towards the nearest title, I hope. People travelling up and down all hours, times of the day, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't worry them. But actual breeding and showing, it's as if... Uh... Oh, it's just one big happy family. 